Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from Birmingham's Madison Packer, who has blazed a hockey trail the long and hard way here in Michigan and is now a 32-year-old forward with New York in the new professional women's hockey league. But first, Ted... What a game at Little Caesars the other night. The Wings, two to one winners in overtime on a goal by Patrick Kane to beat Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche. Detroit is back to 10 games over 500, 30, 20, and six. And in the first wild card position as of today, one point ahead of Derek Lalonde's old team, the Lightning. You know, we were sitting with Wojo the other night and his lead, Ted, in his column at DetroitNews.com kind of summarize how a lot of people are feeling about these wings. He wrote, it was scintillating hockey in a noisy arena, and it felt strangely fresh and familiar at the same time. Something is stirring, and although we're not quite sure what it is, it's invigorating to see. So, Ted, something is definitely stirring, isn't it, down at Little Caesars? Well, Mark, it felt like old times, didn't it? Sure did. It really did. I mean, it just it felt like old times. Uh, and coincidentally, it was the Colorado Avalanche they were playing too. So that was kind of interesting. But uh, no, I mean, that's a that's a, I was telling people all day yesterday. It felt like old times. And I'll tell you, this team we've talked about it all season here. Obviously, they're playing good hockey. They're playing really good hockey. And I think as Patrick Kane and some of those other guys have said over the last few weeks. I don't think this is a team very many teams would want to mess with in mm-hmm. a first round in a seven-game series. So, Ted, while we were up in the press box the other night after two periods, the Avs were up one nothing, and on their way to their 11th straight win against the Wings, which would have been the longest Colorado winning streak against any other team, going all the way back to their old days as the Quebec Nordiques. But on the TV feed... Mickey Redmond said if the Wings came back after two periods, and again, they were down one nothing, they were playing well, Mickey said they would make the playoffs. So what do you think of Mickey's bold prediction? You know, the teams behind them, Ted, the Lightning have lost three in a row. The Capitals have won three straight, but they lost TJ Oshie the other night. The Devils have lost two straight after Jack Hughes has called out the goaltending. The Islanders are barely afloat under Patrick Waugh. So there's 26 games left for the Wings. If they play 500 hockey, that's 13 and 13. That would give them 92 points. Probably not enough. They'll need just a few more to get to, say, 95 points. But, Ted, was Mickey jumping the gun a bit there? No, i got to be honest, my friend. I don't think that was that bold of a prediction. (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, Mark, I mean, like you just read off, none of those teams behind them, are gaining any sort of traction whatsoever. And frankly, do you see any of those teams really warming up to a really big hot streak? I mean, honestly, I don't. I mean, maybe 
the one that I'm kind of eyeing still is Pittsburgh, but they're mm-hmm. boy, they they'd have to do a lot of work. New Jersey just doesn't doesn't seem to be able to get it going. Same with the island, and I thought the Islanders with Patrick Wow would be invigorated, but they're stuck in mud. Um, no, that, and that's kind of the thing. I think all those teams are basically stuck in mud, and at this point, Mark, I think it would be a total collapse for the Wings if mm-hmm. to not make the playoffs. Don't you agree? I mean, I, I think they're in pretty good shape right now. Well, Ted, I don't know if Red Wing fans need to hear this, but if the Wings do make the playoffs, and like you said, maybe it wasn't such a bold prediction, the playoffs, the first home playoff game in eight years would be the same weekend. The Tigers are home that weekend, Ted, and it's also the NFL draft. So that Thursday. It would be, be a heck of, of a weekend, biggest... boy. Can you imagine that? That would be that would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. And I think a lot of these sports fans in this area would be they've been waiting for something like that. Just kind of basically like the Lions this past season. It's just mm-hmm. been a lot of it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Coming up, we'll talk about the trade deadline and Michael Rasmussen's new contract. But first, our interview segment on the podcast and today's special guest is Madison Packer. Joining us now is Madison Packer, a forward with the New York team in the new Professional Women's Hockey League, a Michigander from Birmingham, a Little Caesars grad, and one of the biggest proponents for mental health resources, especially for athletes in the world of sports. Madison, welcome to the podcast. And for our Michigan listeners, what stands out about some of these hockey highlights of yours? Your first goal was at Joe Lewis Arena during an in-between periods game you picked up the octopuses thrown onto the ice during red wings playoff games along with zamboni driver al sabatka you're a four-time state champion with the little caesars girls teams a two-time gold medalist with usa hockey's under 18 women's teams at world championships an ncaa champion with the wisconsin badgers in 2011 what do you remember most madison about your early hockey career i think for me i remember most Honestly, playing on the lake at my grandparents' house or up on Lake Charlevoix with my brothers, just mm. it's it's fun to win trophies and awards and things like that. But when I think of hockey growing up, I think of just yeah. playing outside or we used to go down to downtown Detroit and skate, um, kind of play pickup with my dad and play morning hockey with the guys. And my brothers and I would go out and skate on the mini rink. Um, that's what resonates most for me with my childhood growing up playing hockey. Madison, for our Red Wings listeners, your dad said you met Gordy Howe and Chris Chelios. He said you were Howe's personal dinner guest at the team's 75th anniversary celebration in 2001. He said you didn't really know too much. You were young. You really didn't know much about Mr. Howe, but he says you thought some of his friends played hockey too. And of course, Ted Lindsay was there and Alex Delvecchio and that Gordy insisted on you calling him Gordy, not Mr. Howe. And then your dad said when you were talking to Mr. Chelios, you were asking him about how long it took for him to come back from an injury, uh, knee injury. And Chris said 11 weeks. And you said you'd come back in 10. And Mr. Chelios then said he got paid $6 million a year, Madison, to get back on the ice <laughs> in 11 weeks. Uh, he said you had your whole life ahead of you. And for the record, your dad said you were supposed to be off the ice for 30 weeks and you came back after about 16 weeks. So what do you remember, Madison, about some of these meetings with these Hall of Famers? I think, honestly, I was fortunate to have had so much interaction with them that I Mm -hmm. just viewed them as people. Um, It wasn't until I got a little bit older and then, like, I was like, oh, my goodness, all these people are famous. Does it you you start to grapple and understand, like, the world that they operate in? And so I was fortunate that 
we were never allowed to ask for autographs. Like we just took in the moment with, with the people and in the experiences really. Um, but I learned a lot. I think a lot of good leadership skills from being around those people, a lot of appreciating the journey in the moment, um, just constantly asking questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, everything about hockey, I love it. And so to be around those athletes that were so good and so big in their prime, um, I just absorbed as much information as I could. Madison, your dad also said that you really don't like to dwell on the negative experiences about being the only girl on a boys team up until the age of about 14. For example, he said that you didn't tell him or your mom until years later about a boy who urinated on your hockey equipment bag. As an aside, your dad said your brothers, Spencer and Bennett would have taken care of that real quick. Another, another time your dad said he received a phone call from your mom and he could hear you sobbing in the background. Your dad said, what happened? Your mom said, some guy grabbed you and punched you in the nose. Your dad said, put Madison on the phone. He asked you, can you take him? And you said, yeah. He said, you grabbed the guy, pushed him in the corner, did whatever happened and walked out of the dressing room in your hockey gear. He said, your mom got back on the phone and said, what did you tell her? You can't do that. She's a girl. And just one more story, Madison. It was 2004. You were 13 years old and coming home from a tournament in Boston with a Honeybake Bantam minor team. He said it was a particularly tough weekend and your mom was on the bus for support. And your mom said that you really got beat up on the ice and your teammates didn't really defend you. She said they accepted you, but were never really friends with you. Your mom then asked if you felt like quitting and playing on a girl's team. And your dad said your response was, mom, I'm not here to make friends. So Madison, where did you get that defiant spirit and determination? And what was it like back then? I don't know, really. I think a little bit from my parents. I mean, my dad came from a family that grew up, had next to nothing in downtown Detroit and mm-hmm. was it has just always been a really, really hard worker and has built a great life for himself and our family. Started, you know, his own business from nothing twice and um, that's just kind of how we were raised and we were never allowed to quit anything growing up. It was, if you started it, you didn't have to keep doing it, but you had to finish the season or you had to finish the class or whatever it was. Sure. And my, my mom too is just a super determined person. She had four kids under four by the time she was 22. So, um, she just is a warrior in everything that she does. So I had good, strong role models at home who put me in every situation possible to be successful. And, um, you know, I think that my story is not, unfortunately, all that different from a lot of my female counterparts. You just kind of had to be willing to put up with the crap, if you will, in, in order to have a place to play because there weren't places for girls solely to play at the time. Um, and I think part of it, you know, you use it as a fuel. Like for me, I was determined to prove the boys wrong at the time. I, there was no PWHL New York ahead of me. I wanted to play in the NHL. I wanted to be in the Olympics. Um, and so I just use that as motivation constantly that one day I'm going to I'm going to show these boys that I can do everything they say I can't and I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm going to be better than them. Madison Earl size was one of the first coaches who stood up to parents who didn't want the distraction of you playing on their son's team in 2001 he coached your squirt double a Detroit sting team Earl said he didn't care if you were a girl or from Mars He said, if you could play hockey, you got a spot on his team. He said, you were the toughest kid. No question about it. And he said, he always told you if any of the guys give you any crap, he was behind you 100%. In fact, he said, you were tested at a tournament in Toronto, Madison. He said, you came back to the bench and said, they're calling me all kinds of nasty names. I won't repeat what they said. 
He said he called the ref over and said, listen, if you don't want that girl to kick the bleep out of every kid, you better calm this thing down. And he said the ref did. So what was it like playing for Earl size Madison and how important was it to have coaches like him and others take a stand for you? Oh, I mean, it, it completely changed the trajectory of my career without Earl. I, it, I don't know which direction it could have gone. Wow. Um, coach Earl and, and another coach I played for coach Dennis Boomer, um, just created a safe space for me to be welcome. I mean, it was, it was brutal. The parents that wouldn't, didn't want their kids to play with a girl. And it just, which is ironic because everyone says that boys are better than girls. And then what's, so what's the threat? If it's, you know, it, that was kind of my argument always was I just didn't, I struggled as a kid to understand why I wasn't allowed to play when I was as good. And, and they were saying that I wasn't, and it was more people being threatened by a girl being better. Um, and I, you know, I, I, unfortunately I got cut from a team after all the trials were over because I was a girl and coach Earl made a spot for me on his team that was already picked and was willing to let go of another kid who, and, and then coach Boomer was willing to let go of another kid to make space for me who wouldn't play with the girl. He was like, no problem. Then you, she can have your jerseys and you can get out of here. Um, and there's not a lot of coaches that are willing to take that stand and then are willing to hold, you know, the whole locker room accountable and how they treat people. Um, and those are just, two gentlemen who went above and beyond to create a space for me. And truly, I mean, that those were two crucial years yeah. of my development in the, right before I transitioned to playing girls hockey. And then two years later, I had a full scholarship to go to Wisconsin. So like those years having nowhere to play on and, and not be on a competitive team and not continue to get better and be pushed by those boys would have been um, detrimental to my development. And so I don't, you know, looking back, I don't even know if they know how, how big that sure. was for me yeah. and how, important it was madison in our story at detroitnews.com there's a line about how your problems playing boys hockey really paled in comparison to two life-altering experiences in 2009 and 2014 in 2009 your friend and hockey teammate kelly Shure died which led you to join common ground a suicide prevention awareness center then in 2014, just days before graduating at the University of Wisconsin, you said you stood on a chair on the balcony of your 15th floor apartment and thought about ending your life. How did those two events, Madison, shape who you are today? I think it taught me to, to never take anything for granted. Um, you can't always control what happens in life, but you can always control your response. And I didn't understand how common it was to not feel okay, mm -hmm. you know, just every day people walk around feeling off and I didn't, I felt like I was the only one feeling that way. And, you know, even after Kelly died, I got involved with, like you said, with common ground, I started working with another organization, project semicolon that does a lot of work to bring awareness to suicide prevention and just awareness in general. But it was just conversation and talking about it. I didn't, I had no hmm. idea what support looked like, what resources looked like, how communities needed community centers that provide those things until I was in a situation where I didn't understand how I was feeling because no one was talking about it. And I didn't know it was normal to feel that way. And there was something on the other side. And so that was part of what led me, you know, after having all those experiences to, to share my story, because it's, it is so common, especially in sports, but in life as well, it doesn't matter classrooms, arenas, you know, mm -hmm. wherever you are, people struggle with it. And um, it's just, it's, it's, it has become an epidemic in our country. And so it's important that we raise awareness. And as I continue to play and as long as I have a platform, I'll use that platform to talk about it because there are a lot of people that feel the way that I felt once. And 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just wish I would have known that there was someone out there to help me and that I didn't need to, to suffer in si- silence, if you will. Madison, thanks for your time so far on the podcast. Just a couple of more questions. The uh, headline on our story is Birmingham's Madison Packer blazes hockey trail the long and hard way. And I asked Anya, your wife, if that was accurate. And I asked Reagan Carey, the commissioner of the Professional Women's Hockey League, and they both said yes. Anya said back when you guys played, you mentioned it earlier, Madison, there was no NWHL, no front office jobs in the NHL, nobody who did broadcasts. Nobody, she said, was valuing women in hockey enough to pay them. Zero pipeline, zero pathway. And Reagan said she's often referred to you as paving the way for authenticity in the sport. She said you've stayed committed to the game and champion things that are important to you. She said you know this is a vehicle, as you just said, where you can help others. And she said you've done it extremely well. So the long and hard way of doing all of this, Madison, was it worth it? What was it like? Yeah, I think nothing worth doing is done easily. Um, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right. And if it was accepted or normal or, you know, not something that needed work and attention, then Mm -hmm. it wouldn't, it would just be out there and be talked about. It wouldn't be things that we need to champion. So, um, you know, it wasn't really till I met my wife and I became more comfortable talking about things that I personally kept inside as being important because I didn't, I felt like there was a stigma associated with talking about them broadly Mm-hmm. Um, that I learned how important that is because, and frankly, I would go as far to say that anyone that has a platform, you know, whether it's social media, online, or sorry, on television, um, any kind of platform that you have with a great reach, if you don't use that for some form of positivity, then you're doing a great misservice to everyone because there's a lot of things that, that are bad in the world. There are a lot of things that we need to change. There's a lot of power in using your voice and using your platform in sport. And um, that's way more important than anything I do on the ice is the impact that I can have on people and on uh, organizations mm-hmm. off the ice. Finally, Madison, from those early days, we were talking about skating in Michigan to now where you've kind of become a key figure in the success of women's hockey over the last eight to 10 years or so, as well as equal rights and specifically this new league, which pays a livable wage for female hockey players Really, for the first time, the minimum player salary is thirty-five thousand. The average roster salary is at least fifty-five thousand, with no fewer than six players making less than eighty thousand. And some star players earn one hundred thousand dollars. There's also a fifteen hundred dollar per month housing stipend, meal per diems of eighty-one dollars per day for a traveling team, as well as playoff bonuses, including a sixty-three thousand two hundred fifty team bonus for the playoff champion. And Detroit, by the way, will host a PWHL game at Little Caesars Arena when Boston faces Ottawa on March the 16th. So what's left for you in this league, Madison? You've been playing on the fourth line. You broke an eight-game pointless streak the other night with an assist against Boston. You come back from a separated shoulder. The team beat Montreal 4-3 last night. Have you thought about your legacy and what happens next? Or are you just concerned with making the playoffs and going on from there? I think I'm just living in the moment. I mean, it's, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but this is the first time that we have all the best players in the world playing together. And we're on linear television every night playing in front of 8,000 people. I mean, this is, I'm 32 and I'm living my dream and it's um, pretty incredible. So I think for me, just, you know, that injury was really tough. I I got hurt the second day of training camp and uh, was supposed to be out for 
four months, ended up coming back in about six <laughs> weeks, which was, which was good. But um, I think just, you know, taking it all in one step at a time and, and enjoying every, every day and every experience. Um, I'd like to play as long as I can, but I also recognize that my job is to, is to build it. And once we have others that can fill the role, um, yeah. you know, maybe get involved behind the scenes or something like that, because, um, you know, I've, I've gotten to experience a lot. So we'll take it one step at a time. Uh, hopefully we make the playoffs, but I've been really happy with my experience so far and keep doing it. Madison, thanks again for sharing your story today, the ups and downs and highlighting coaches like Earl size and letting our listeners know what it's like to be one of many women who break barriers in a male dominated game. All the best the rest of the season. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Our thanks again to Madison Packer. And now let's hear from Red Wings forward, Michael Rasmussen, who signed that four year, $12.8 million contract this week. His first four years in the NHL, no playoffs and a minus 38 ranking this year, though, he leads the forwards at plus 11 defenseman. Oli Mata is plus 13, but more importantly, for the first time in five years, Rasmussen says he's really enjoying this playoff push and hopefully fulfilling a childhood dream. Watch playoff hockey every every time that we're not in it, and uh, I'm pretty jealous. So um, I think it looks like a lot of fun and obviously uh, uh, a childhood dream for for everyone. Right, you watch playoff hockey and um, you know it's the best time of the year. So. Uh, I think about it all the time. No playoffs yet for Rasmussen. In junior hockey, he made the playoffs twice in four years with the Tri-City Americans. One year they were swept in four games by the Kelowna Rockets. But in 2018, he finished second overall in playoff scoring, 16 goals in only 14 games. They lost in the third round to the Everett Silver Tips. And looking at John Neo's column on Rasmussen this week, Ted, John reminded us, that Rasmussen is only 24. He's already the second longest tenured Red Wing behind Dylan Larkin. And John wrote this line as well. He said, Rasmussen is more than just a depth piece on a playoff pretender. He's officially a key cog for a contender and a big part of the future as well in size and stature. So, Ted, what did you make of this signing? Four years, an average salary of $3.2 million a year. Well, that was a good signing for both sides, right, right about where a player of his with his type of role around the league. That's what, you know, those guys are making. I think he's earned it too. Done a nice job, progressed every season. Uh, he's not a superstar, but he's definitely a guy, a glue type of guy that a big grinding forward that a contending team usually has. And I liked his, I like his game. I think Mark the last couple of years, he's really progressed mm -hmm. nicely. Uh, Ninth overall, his draft year, that may have been a bit high for where he went, but I'm sure the Red Wings are glad. I'm Obviously, the Red Wings are glad to have him. Um, and just like uh, Newsy, Derek Lalonde says, he feels a lot. He, he drank and drive a line when he's playing his best hockey. He really energizes the line. A good signing. Uh, he's, definitely a, well, he's definitely a part of the future now. He's a part of the nucleus and... He's worked awfully hard to get there. Finally, Ted, the trade deadline is two weeks away, two weeks from Friday. You'll be in Arizona that day on March the 6th. The Coyotes game is at 9 p.m. The deadline is at 3 p.m. Last year, they traded Ronick and Bertuzzi. This year, will they be buyers or sellers, or really, will they just stand pat? Because on defense out there, 
There's Noah Hannafin, but is he better than Jeff Petrie? There's Chris Tanev, Jacob Chikrin. You've already got Sider, Wallman, Sherratt, Petrie, Gostas, Bear, Mata, and Justin Hall. And up front, there's Jake Gensel, Adam Henrique, Scott Lawton, and goal, UC Soros, Jacob Markstrom. I could see, though, Ted, our next podcast on that trade deadline weekend. It might be a really quiet post-trade deadline podcast. I tell you, my friend, I agree with you, but boy, with Steve Eiserman, you just sometimes you just do not know. I agree with you. I think this lineup is actually, there's so much depth in this lineup. I don't know where you would add that much more and improve yourself significantly without giving up too much, but boy, that East seems so, Eastern Conference seems so wide open right now, Mark. I mean, Mm-hmm. Boy, maybe if you do add one more big piece or just moderate piece, maybe that could get you into the second or third round. I don't know. I mean, I just don't see a, a big-time favorite in the Eastern Conference that, boy, if you make the right moves, you could go a long way. I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be much done on this side. I don't think he's – I don't think – he he's in position yet mm-hmm. to give away too many pieces or draft picks or whatnot, but boy, if the temptation is there, I, and I'm not even sure what type of player we're talking about, Mark, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think they'd go after a Jake Gensel or anybody like that, but boy, I mean, they're the way they're playing right now. Like we said earlier, I don't think anybody would want to mess with them in the first or second round. And, you win a couple of rounds, suddenly, geez, oh, Pete, you're contending for the Stanley Cup. And I, again, in that Eastern Conference, I don't think there's a prohibitive favorite, do you? I really don't. No, I think you're right, Ted. It's wide open, isn't it? And the Wings, they need about 95 points. Do you think they'll get there? I think we're saying you think they will, right, Ted? Is that, what, is that so. what we're thinking right now? now? I do think Florida, yeah. I do give Florida a little bit of an, an edge over those other teams. I do think the Panthers, when they're playing like they have been lately. I think they're probably the class of the East. But then again, what? I think they lost Matthew Kuchuk and Forsling the other night. And it's not like they're <laughs> it's not like they're the Boston Bruins of last regular season. I mean, uh, they're beatable. And then once you get to the Bruins, Rangers, Hurricanes, Leafs. Right. Ah, good teams. No, no question. Good teams. But boy, all of them are flawed. And, uh, Heck, I wouldn't mind the Red Wings' chances against any of those teams, even the Panthers. Well, Ted, the other night we were going over the teams with Wojo, right? You guys were looking at the matchups. What if Detroit gets Boston in the first round? That, I that would could favor be a toss the Wings. They, they've played well against the yeah. Bruins the last couple of years. In a seven-game series, They have more. I think they have more depth than the Bruins do. Right. They don't have Pasternak and Brad Marchand, but they have a whole lot of other pieces that are better than the Bruins' pieces. Ted, as always, thanks again for your time today. And that'll do it for episode 98 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing our podcasts. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.